0: Throughout the past 20-some years that uh, Linda and I have been married, we have witnessed firsthand the influence that friends can have on a marriage. We've had friends that, quite frankly, that without them, I'm not so sure that we'd still be married. You know, their encouragement, uh, their support, their role model uh, was a great blessing to us, and it was a tremendous asset as far as our own marriage is concerned and our own relationship. But we've also had friends that almost single-handedly and I say friends and I use that term very loosely at this point but we've also had friends or people in our life that almost single-handedly destroyed our marriage and uh, so we need to understand and recognize that there are friends that are a very positive influence and there are friends that can be a very negative influence and uh, a lot of it has to, to do with what's going on in your relationship at the time and what kind of relationship that you have with them and the direction that they're leading in your life. And, that, you know, so I was thinking about that as, as we go through all this, but since friends can have that kind of influence on a marriage, it's only appropriate to ask this question. Think about it for a minute. But who is your best friend? Oh, great. You know, there's always a, there's always a bunch of... You know, schmoozers in the crowd, isn't there? You know, throwing out, oh, my wife, my husband. Well, that's interesting.
1: <laughs>
0: and it's interesting, both of you said it, but you said it first. Okay, and then Tom goes, oh, oh my uh, husband. No, wife. Oh, that's right. No, it was the right answer there. Um, but think about it. I mean, who's your best friend? Who's your wife's best friend? Who's your best friend? Uh, you know, and, and you go through all that, and you've got to ask yourself a simple question. Who is your best friend? And it would seem to me that if your best friend has such an influence on your marriage and can impact your relationship, it would seem to make sense to me that even though they were schmoozing up to me, that what they were saying was right. That your spouse really should be your best friend. You know, and uh, you know they cheated. They saw. They saw my notes, but. But, you know, stop and think about it. You know, most, most guys, if you ask them who their best friend is, uh, they'd struggle with an answer. Most women, if you ask, they'd be able to think of one or two people and they'd say, you know, here, that she's my best friend or she's been my best friend for a while or whatever. And, and there's not that struggle there. But most men that I know, if you ask that question, would struggle with that. And that's a problem. And we need to deal with it. But if your best friend can have such an influence on your marriage, you know, as I was thinking about this, it makes sense to me that my wife really needs to become my best friend. Now, we all need friends, and we need to develop friends, and I think it's critical, as you'll see, in the, in the, uh, in the uh, ingredients of intimate friendship, and I think that basically what we need to look at is, you know, how to become best friends. Now, if you're single, it's important that you develop a best friend. If you're married, it's important that you develop a best friend. It's important that you develop friends no matter what your present condition is because friends have a tremendous influence on our life, or either good or bad. And so as we go through this, we're going to take a look at how to become best friends. And I want to do it with the primary goal of, as couples, to make our spouse our best friend. But obviously there's a broader application to the rest of us As far as making friends outside of our marriage, there are some uh, guidelines that we need to look at or some essential elements, and there's going to be five of them that are involved in making intimate friendships that will help every one of us, whether it's to make our spouse our best friend or, or to make the people around us a best friend, whatever it is. We need to take a look at these five essential ingredients in becoming a best friend. So if you're ready, let's take a look at the first one. Number one. If you're going to have a best friend, and if your spouse is to become your best friend, they have to have confidence in you. My wife has to have confidence in me, you know, and I, I need to have confidence in her. And what I'm saying by confidence is simply this, that I must be able to trust her. If I'm going to share with her or confide in her, I've got to be able to trust her as to how she will respond to the information that I give her how she handles it, what she does with it, uh, whether or not she shares it with anybody else I've got to be able to have confidence in her or or trust her and develop an intimate friendship we all need the freedom to share whatever we're struggling with in our life you know what's interesting to me is so many of us are hesitant on, on sharing the struggles that we have in life because quite frankly we can't trust other people And so many of us bear this burden that we have of what we're going through and we can't really share with the people around us because we're not sure whether we can trust them with the information. We're not sure what they'll think of us if we shared with them what's going on in our life. So we we don't share with anybody. And the problem is we never begin to deal with that because we don't have anywhere to go with it and we're kind of stuck trying to come up with the best way to handle it and so what what I'm trying to get across is is that if you're going to develop intimacy in a friendship or a relationship and primarily with your spouse you have got to be in a position you have got to get to a position that you're willing to share those things that are on your mind and on your heart that you struggle with and keep to yourself you've got to be able to share it now what's interesting is if we're gonna trust one another with what we have just heard It's important that we don't repeat that matter to other people. Let me give you an illustration of something that I have learned in our marriage, and maybe some of you guys have seen the same thing happen. I have learned that my wife, Linda, when she's struggling with certain things or when some things are bothering her, she just likes to tell me. She wants to share it. She wants to tell me what it is that's bothering her. And in some ways, she wants to kind of get it off her chest and onto mine. It's kind of like that transfer that takes place, you know what I mean? It's kind of like you struggle with it, and, and you kind of go, well, I want to share this with you. So now, I'm a typical guy, all right? And here's the problem with that. This is really bothering me, hon, and she tells me what it is. So now I got all this stuff that, that I just heard. So what do you think I'm going to do with it? I got to fix it. I mean, that's why you're sharing this with me. I got to fix it. You know, the car's broke, you fix it. You know, a light's broke, you fix it. An appliance is broke, you fix it. I'm telling you this, so you'll fix it. So this well-intended, but very misguided fellow (laughs) will then attempt to fix this. But it's usually the things that she's struggling with that aren't things that she really wants fixed. They're things she just wants to share. And they deal with other people, their relationship types of things. You, You know what I'm talking about? All right, guys, now listen. Where have you gone wrong here? Well, if you're telling me that so-and-so is, you know, doing this or that or the other thing, I'm just going to go talk to him or her. Yeah. See, just the laughter indicates that you know something that I didn't really know and understand. That is, no, you don't do that. Why not? Because that's not why she told me. She didn't tell me to go fix it. She just told me to tell me. And don't try to understand it. I, kind of, I don't. But you just kind of go, you feel better? I, you know what I mean? You kind of go, uh, and here's what happens. When you go and you try to fix it, then she goes, what are you doing? What, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, oh, that." I didn't tell you to, what'd you go tell her for? What'd you go talk to him for? I didn't tell you, so you go tell them. And I'm like, uh, and I feel so stupid because I thought I was doing what you'd want me to do. You know, it's like, you tell me, it's broke, I'll go fix it. And seeing the problem is, look at Proverbs 17, 9. It says, he who covers an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends see what i have learned is when linda shares something with me about relationship things and about people she's oftentimes just sharing them because she's frustrated with what's going on she needs to talk about it she needs to just get it off her mind off her chest we we need to just talk and share things together and it's not necessarily just to go fix it because it's not that easy so you discuss it Now when I go and I talk to the person that maybe she's struggling with, whomever that would be, then I have violated the intimacy that she's trying to develop in our relationship by sharing something with somebody else that she shared with me in confidence. And I mess everything up by doing that. And so what I'm beginning to learn is, is that if I do that, then she can't trust me. So I've got it down to this. And men, I mean, if, if, you're, if you want to become best friends with your, with your wife, let me give you a suggestion. When she shares something like that with you, then I would suggest that you simply ask her, is there something you'd like me to do? I mean, other than listening to you and other than hugging you and supporting you and whatever it is that you want me to do, is there something more that you'd like me to do? Would you like me to go talk to him? Would you like me to go talk to her? Is there anything beyond this that you'd like me to do? Because I'm more than willing to do that because I care that much about you that if if this is a major concern or it's causing fear in your life, one of my responsibilities as a husband is to eliminate fear in your life. So if that's where we're at in all this, just let me know and I'll do whatever it is. And then we're in agreement together that that's the course of action to take. See, sometimes you just need to ask because if you don't ask and you try to act you may violate that confidence. Now another point that you might want to consider too is if you're going to develop a trustworthy relationship or intimate relationship, Proverbs 16:28 says this, a perverse man stirs up dissension and a gossip separates close friends. One thing that will destroy a friendship quicker than anything else is to share something that has been shared with you in confidence to someone else and have your friend find out that you did that. And sometimes the best way to eliminate that problem is simply asking this, hey, do you want this to be confidential between you and me? And if that's the case, then you know, it's like a newspaper journalist, hey, is this off the record? It's off the record. Then you can't print it you can't publish it, you can't share it, you can't tell anybody else it's as simple as that, we need to develop that in our relationship with one another are you sharing this with me to just share and keep it confidential, then that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm not going to violate that relationship. And see, what you'll begin to do is you'll begin to develop this intimacy in a relationship. There'll be this bridge that's there. That person feels like, you know what, I can come to you and talk to you about things that are really troubling me. And I'm not worried about what you're going to do with that information. Why? Because I have confidence in you. You're a trustworthy person. And what I need to do in my relationship with my wife and and that we all need to do as couples is try to develop that intimacy so that we can start to develop the relationship that we want to have, which will lead to us becoming best friends. That's the first thing. Now, the second thing that will help us in developing or becoming best friends is what uh, we all enjoy, and we'll all talk about a lot more in detail in December, but that's confrontation. I have found that most of us just love conflict you know we just enjoy it I mean it's just like you know it just it's just one of those things that oh man you know what ah, I just love to confront people how many of you like to confront people two people sitting by themselves not a friend in the world you know with a smile on their face and not a friend in sight you know not, no, you know, not many of us like confrontation. In fact, most of us will do everything that we can to avoid having to confront one another. And the problem with that is is that you cannot become best friends if there are not times of confrontation. Why? Because none of us are perfect. Why? We all make mistakes. We mess stuff up. And because of that, not all of us are always doing the right thing but now think about this if you're going to develop a best friend who knows you better than your spouse your spouse sees things that the rest of us don't see your spouse hears things that the rest of us don't hear your spouse sees you do things that many of us will never see thank god <laughs> praise the lord <laughs> see? Some, see, now sometimes you got good timing Now, if you had good sense, you wouldn't mess it up. (laughs) You wouldn't mess it up by saying anything else today. I mean, you got one, you hit it, it was good, well, let it go. (laughs) But uh, confrontation, there you go, I love it. But see, to become best friends, you have to be in a position to know what the rest of us don't know. It only makes sense to be able to do that. You know, if you look at, like Proverbs 27, 5 through 6, we read this. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. I like that. Listen to that. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Why is that so? Why can wounds from a friend be trusted? You know, I was thinking about that. If my wife confronts me with an area of my life that for whatever reason, either I'm blind to, I don't see, or sometimes we just do things that we know we shouldn't be doing or say things that we shouldn't say, and we're confronted by a person that sees that, knows us, and says, look, you know what, what are you doing? But what the Bible is saying is, you know what, if she really loves me, she's going to confront me. And if I really love her, I'm going to confront her because confrontation is better than hidden love sitting in silence and saying, oh, I really love my spouse, but I'm letting him or her do things that are destructive to their own life. So what God is saying is, you know what, if you're a friend, the wounds, even though they're going to hurt when you confront a person, that's okay, because you can be trusted that you care. Here's the point. My wife cares about me. I trust her that she does. And I care about her. And I would hope she trusts that I do. So then when we confront one another, we should be open to listen. Why? Because wounds from a friend can be trusted. She's saying what she's saying. Why? Because she loves me and she knows what's best for me and she sees what I'm doing that's damaging to my own life, to our relationship together, or maybe my relationship with other people. And so she's willing to take a chance and risk and confront me because she wants to do what's best for me and ultimately for us in the long run. So those wounds from her can be trusted because I know she's got my best interest in mind. You know, and and if you're convinced of that, then you'll recognize that as well. You know, some of us see confrontation as something to be avoided at all costs. Oh, no, don't say anything. Don't do anything. Maybe it'll all go away. And we get to the point where we think that confrontation is somehow wrong. And uh, obviously, you know, most folks don't, like confrontation, but what I've also found is this. Most folks don't care enough to confront. Think about that. If you really love your friend, and he or she is doing something that is detrimental to their health, to their physical well-being, their emotional well-being, their spiritual well-being, and you stand by and watch, what God is saying is, how can you say you love that person, whether it's your spouse or just a friend? See, sometimes it's simple. Caring and confrontation go hand in hand. Sometimes it's as simple as saying, hey, you know what, um, would you like a breath mint? (laughs) Yeah, would you? And you're shaking your head yes as fast as you can. Yes, would you like one? uh, Hey, you know, I I just read about this new deodorant. (laughs) You know, you might want to. Or, you know, it's like, have you ever eaten lunch with a friend? And, you know, and they're they're talking to you and they got something like hanging from their face? You know, the person that doesn't want to confront would just sit there and go, yeah, and it's like, it's like you know, I don't hesitate, because if I got something, I got a snugger or something hanging from my face, you know, I want somebody to tell me, hey, you got a snugger hanging from your face, you got a piece of lettuce here in your tooth, you got this hanging from here, I mean, well, you know, and that's why spouses are always so good at that, you know, but I just, we worked out a deal, I told them, just don't reach across and wipe my face. You know, I, it just, it's one of those things that we're working through, you know, it's that motherly instinct. Let me get that for you. No, I can get it, just tell me where it is, you know. And then, you know, then it's like, and then I'll, I like to mess with her and kind of go like this. I go, it's right here. And she'll go like that, yeah. and I go, no, it's over right here. No, it's not, No, it's right here. No, you just kind of go, ah, 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 But, but, it's like, you know, and sometimes it's a simple thing like that, you know, just tell me. I'll get it. But, sometimes it goes a lot further than that. Sometimes it's a lot deeper than that. Sometimes it's a lot more critical than that. You know, it's a matter of saying, hey, what you're doing is wrong. It's wrong before God. And you need to know that. What are you thinking? What are you doing? See, and and the person that's closest to you in your life is the one that's going to see more than the rest of us will. Sometimes it's a matter of a spouse going to her spouse or his spouse and saying, this is what you're doing, it's wrong, and you need to stop doing it. And if they don't do it, it might mean going to another friend or a best friend that that person has some influence on and say, hey, you know what, we need to talk to him or her together. We got a major problem here and we need to work it out. And you know what, if we love this person, we're going to confront him or her. We're not going to let this go. See, it's a lie. It's deception to believe that you can develop intimacy in a relationship without ever having confrontation. And we're going to look at how to resolve conflict because that's important, and that's what we'll talk about in December. How to resolve it is critical. But there's always going to be conflict. And we need to look at that. And we always need to confront. Now let me ask you a question as, as we kind of summarize this one point. But if you and your spouse are to become best friends, are you open when your spouse comes to you and wants to confront you in an area of your life? Hmm. Do you get defensive? Do you get angry? Do you get, um, like, throw it back in your face type of mentality? Oh, who do you think you are coming and challenging me, confronting me in this area when this is, blah, 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 blah is wrong in your life? See, it defeats what we're trying to accomplish, doesn't it? If you're going to develop intimacy, I've got to be open and receptive. If my wife comes to me and says, Chuck, I need to talk to you about something, I can't turn it back on her. I can't become defensive. I can't become angry. What I need to do is say thank you. You know why? Because you care enough. You love me enough. By God's definition, you love me enough to come and confront me because you've got my best interest in mind. And you know what? I'm going to thank you because I know it's not an easy thing to do. And I'm not going to make you afraid to do it. Now, throw it the other way. Do you care enough to confront? Do you speak the truth in love? Do you care enough to go to your spouse and say, Look, this is an area of our life, or this is what's going on, and we need to discuss it. We need to deal with it. It's a real problem. See, caring and confrontation go hand in hand, and we need to recognize and understand it. Now, the third thing that will build intimacy in a relationship and make for best friends whether it's a spouse or another friend is what what, uh, I would call counsel. It's counsel. Simply put, who do you turn to for advice? Where do you go when things, uh, you don't know where to go or what to do and what direction to go? Who do you turn to for counsel? Now think about this. Most people that I know that have a best friend, whether it's your spouse or someone else, when there's something going on in your life, it's just natural that you turn to your best friend this is going on I need some advice I need some counsel this is what's happening in business this is what's happening with my family this is what's happening whatever I need to go somewhere and get counsel I need advice we all need advice now this is an area where friends will determine whether or not they're good friends or destructive friends based on the type of counsel that they give and that's a real struggle because see what I look at is this marriage is a partnership and it only makes sense to me if we're going to develop an intimate friendship, Linda and I, that I need to turn to her more often for counsel and advice in areas of life. And, uh, and God says, hey, that's a pretty wise idea because, see, in Proverbs 15, 22, it says, Plans fail for lack of counsel. But with many advisors, they succeed. So not only should your spice, spouse, or spice, and, you know, if you're still working on last week's lesson, <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, not only should your spouse be a primary source of counsel, but you should have other people around you who are giving counsel as well, because plans succeed when you have many counselors, but they fail for lack of, you know, additional counsel. So, Proverbs 15, 22, hey, you know what, look for some counsel. Proverbs 12:25 says that an anxious heart weighs a man down. But a kind word cheers them up. Sometimes, you know, it's just a matter of, I I just need cheered up. I need encouraged. I need picked up. You know, it's been a tough week. It's been a tough day. Just tell me something that will lift my spirits. You know, encourage me in some way. We all need a source of objectivity when we're confused, our emotions are misleading, and we're involved in behavior that God says is wrong. We need good counsel. You know, and there's plenty of harmful or devastating counsel. Let me give you an example of it. Here, here's a, a story that I, re- that I read recently that I thought you might appreciate as far as the Council of Friends. It says, with great pride, Benjamin Bernstein painted himself a sign to hang over a store. It said, fresh fish sold here daily. As Bernstein placed the ladder to hang up the sign, a friend came by and said, what kind of cockamamie sign is that? He said, why? What's wrong with it? He says, fresh fish, Bernstein? It would never occur to your customers that you sell fish that aren't fresh unless you advertise it. He goes, man, you're right. And he took a brush and he painted out the word fresh. And then the friend said, wait a minute, what about sold? Obviously, you sell fish. You don't give fish away for free. So Bernstein said, oh, sold, okay, good. And he painted that out. He goes, so he said, no, wait, why here? Obviously, you don't sell fish over there. He goes, you're right. And he painted out the word here. And that leaves daily, said his friend. I ask you, how smart is that? If fish are fresh, they got to come in and go out daily, don't they? He says, oh, absolutely, and he crossed out daily, leaving a sign that read only fish. And his friend said, that's perfect. Now, he started up the ladder, and he was going to hang the sign that said fish, and his friend, another friend came by and says, what are you doing putting up that ridiculous sign? And he said, well, what's wrong with it? He goes, you don't have to put up any signs, Bernstein. Your fish, everyone smells a mile away. He goes, so Bernstein t- took down the sign thinking, man, you know, I'm the luckiest guy in the world that I got friends who are so smart. You know, and I stop and think, you know what, some of us are like that. The people that we go to for counsel, you know, I'm just going to be frank about it. It's some of the most idiotic, stupid thing you can ever hear in your life. It's just plain stupid and dumb. And you know what, and you go, well, what's good counsel? You got your Bible, so I'll tell you some good counsel. Psalm 1 gives us a real good hint as far as what is good counsel. And it ties in real well with, hey, you know what, if you're going to have a best friend, let me suggest this. Says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree that's firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Listen to me if you want to become best friends then learn to give counsel that won't turn out to be wrong learn to give counsel that is not idiotic that is not dangerous that is not just plain and simple stupid learn to give out good counsel and you know what let me tell you something if you want to grow closer to your spouse then I would say that both of you need to spend some time understanding the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God, because it says, How blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of stupid, ungodly people, because some of the dumbest counsel you're going to get are from people that don't know God, don't know His principles, don't know His Word, don't know what's right and wrong, and they tell you based on what their experiences are or how they feel about your situation, and it's the most dangerous situation in the world to get in. We need to become men and women who meditate day and night on the Word of God that are firmly rooted and deeply planted and understand what truth is because truth sets people free and if you're going to be a good friend or best friend to your spouse then you need to have a good feel and understanding for what God says is right or wrong. And if you're going to be a good friend to somebody beside your spouse then that same truth applies in that situation as well. Let me give you an illustration. I had a friend that called me last week, a friend of Linda and I, and uh, the, the couple is, but they're going through some marital problems. She found out that her husband is having sex with other women. She talked to some of her family about it. And this is the counsel that she got. You know what? You need to understand something. Stuff like that just happens. Listen to me. You ought to be glad that he takes good care of you financially, that he takes care of your children, that he doesn't abuse you, that he doesn't do drugs or alcohol, that if that's the only problem that he has, that's just the way that it is. And you know what, girl? If I were you, I wouldn't make a big deal about it. That's the counsel that you got. And you know what? And she called me because she was confused. Because everywhere she turned, that's the kind of nonsense that she heard. Don't confront him. You know, it's an awesome thing to be able to say, but you know what? If you love him, you need to confront him. Because, you know what? Because wounds from a friend can be trusted. And better is open rebuke than hidden love. If you love him, you need to confront him. Is what he's doing right or wrong? Well, it's wrong but. What do you mean wrong but? Well, wrong but what she's saying makes sense. Because you know what? I mean, you know, life is give and take and sometimes you gotta overlook some things. Hey, let me tell you something. That's all true. And sometimes you gotta overlook things, but not things that are flat, plain wrong according to God's standards you cannot overlook evil and expect good to come out of it you can't ignore wrong and expect right to happen you see the problem is we live in a world that's filled with idiots and some of them are dressed up and look real nice and even sound intelligent some of them write books some of them got a multitude of degrees that follow their name but I'm telling you this and get this straight The best counsel in life is free. All you got to do is go buy a Bible and spend time and read it. And it's true and it never changes. And you'll never be disappointed in the counsel that God gives you. And you'll never go wrong sticking to the text. And I don't hesitate for a moment to tell her, listen woman that is the most stupid counsel that you could ever get in your life and if I were you I'd run from those people and I'd never go back to talking to them and find someone that knows the Word of God can counsel you in the Word of God can sit down and explain to you the dangerous situation that you're in if you allow it to keep going on and this is what happened and I asked her about these family friends that gave the counsel and she said you know what man you know what all you're saying makes sense because you know his brother has been doing the same thing and it's been going on for ten years in his marriage Oh, and you know what happens after 10 years? All of a sudden this bitterness and resentment build up and finally the lady says, Hey, look, you know what? I'm not putting up with this anymore. And he he goes, What? I've been doing it for 10 years and you haven't said anything yet. So why is it all of a sudden a big problem now? See how stupid we are? When it happens, confront it. Don't let it go because what you're doing is you're reinforcing that the behavior is acceptable and it's okay. And it's not. That's why anytime there's wrong behavior, whether it's a spouse or it's a child or it's a friend, you have to stop it immediately because saying nothing reinforces it that it's okay. And years go by and kids go, but I've been doing it for five years. Now what's the big deal now? The big deal now is is that I didn't do what I was supposed to do five years ago because I was afraid to. And I find out now that it's ten times worse now than it was then. So stop and understand something. If you love someone, you will confront them. And you will develop intimacy as only God says can be developed because you care enough to confront. And if you're going to confront them, make sure that what you confront them with is godly counsel and it's not stupid opinion or this is my experience well if it ain't based on the word of god who cares what you experienced? we all experience things that doesn't make it right but god's right his truth is right we need to recognize that and we need to understand that you know who cares more about you than your spouse who wants to make sure you get good counsel more than your spouse who cares more about your marriage and, and your children and your finances and your business and your family than your spouse? I mean, that's why it makes sense to me that our primary source of counsel has to be our, our husband or wife. And it doesn't stop there. We need to have more godly counselors because with many counselors, you know, plans succeed. But it has to at least start there so that you're both in agreement of which direction to go. And that leads to the fourth thing. And if we're going to develop intimacy is what I would call companionship companionship. In in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, listen to these words. We'll skip down to this. It says, two are better than one. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. Pity the poor man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. And we learned that last time we were together. So, and if two lie down, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You know, think about this. If you're going to become best friends, you need to spend time together. You know, duh. But you know what's amazing to me? Let's think about it. If you've got a f- best friend other than your spouse, it's, that, it, it's true because you spend time doing things together. You found some hobbies that you like to do together. You found some common interests. Uh, you share things, confidential things, things that are on your heart. You share with one another. That's how you develop all these things. They don't violate that confidence, and so you share some more things. And they're trustworthy. And they confront you in areas of your life. You need to be confronted. And you turn to them for counsel and advice. And all those things are true. But you know what's amazing to me? Is how many of us that are married fail to recognize the importance of spending time with one another. Now, I just want to just think, you know, jog, jog your memory here. Jog your memory for a second and think about some things. When you were dating, the reason that you fell in love was because you spent time together. You talked with each other. You did things together. You, you got advice from one another. You became best friends. All of those things are true. And that's what led you to the point of saying, you know what? I want to marry this guy. I want to marry this gal. And then you get married and you go, okay, that's over. What do you mean it's over? That's not over. Hey, spend time together. When was the last time that you went out on a date together? When was the last time that you went for a walk together? When was the last time you just walked and talked and shared with one another? You bought yourself an ice cream or you did something that you hadn't done for a long time. You went out for a bike ride. I mean, when was the last time you just did some things together? When was the last time, you you know, you you picked up the phone and you just called him or her and said, Hey, I was just thinking about you and I want to tell you I love you and I'm so grateful that we're still married and thank God for our relationship. That's all I want to tell you. And then leave it at that. Oh, and by the way, can you stop and get some milk on the way home? You know, stop while, you know, quit while you're ahead. You know, stop. When was the last time you did any of that? I'm going to tell you this. The most healthy relationships around you are people that are still doing that. That are still recognizing the fact that, you know what? Hey, we got to keep dating. We got to keep developing our relationship. We can't let the kids get in the way. We can't get distracted by all kinds of other things because they're going to grow up and they're going to be gone we have a responsibility to raise them. We'll all do that and we'll talk about that and how to be great parents and all that stuff. But you know what, though? Our relationship is more important than any other relationship and we need to keep working on it. People that get into affairs, how do they get into affairs? Well, they start sharing with other people things that are going on in their life. They start to develop a relationship and build up a confidence. They start to use the phone to do it. They start to all of a sudden meet for lunch. They start to buy little gifts for one another. And all of a sudden they end up in bed and they go, how'd this happen? Well, how'd it happen? You've been working on it for a long time. That's how it happened. And if you were doing the same thing with your husband or wife, guess what? You'd end up in the same place. Going, oh man, big guy, I want you bad. You know, and we just need to understand that that's how it all happens. We're all so good. You know, this isn't that hard. You know what? And may I make a suggestion? When was the last time you laughed together? This group is pathetic. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you right now. I mean, it, it, what the, what, I mean, wh- wh- where'd you guys, like, grow up? Where, I mean, where'd you go to church or something? Did somebody teach you a long time ago, thou shalt not laugh at the sin or something? I mean, some of you, it's killing you. It's killing you to smile. It's killing you to laugh. And it's killing me because it's killing you. I mean, it is unbelievable. It's okay to have fun in life. If you're married, it's okay to have fun. Norman Cousins writes in his book, Anatomy of an Illness, he was given a one out of 100 chance of surviving cancer. You know what he did? He went out and bought and rented videos of all the comedians that he ever liked. The Three Stooges and and, and stuff like that. And he'd watch these videos, and he'd watch, you know, the Honeymooners, and the Three Stooges, and Bill Cosby. And he got all these tapes, and he watched them all. And you know what? He said, every day, I just started a day by laughing a little bit. And he was cured of cancer. And he doesn't think it's a coincidence, and I don't either. Because the people that I see that have a sense of humor and like life, they're very rarely sick. And if they are, it doesn't keep them down very long. But it's the rest of the people that I know that are always complaining and grumbling and moaning and groaning about everything that's going on. Something's always hurting you. Oh, this hurts and that hurts. And you hurt. (laughs) You do. You hurt everybody around you. It's like, goodness gracious, when was the last time you and your spouse just had a good laugh together? man I mean gee whiz you know what I mean and it doesn't take you know and sometimes we're looking for all these things you know what but life has the best stuff look at this look at this cartoon look at this. okay here this will fit right in with the marriage thing I love this look at this cartoon there's this guy and gal they're they're over this coffin and this casket and there's a guy in the casket now is that like the greatest cartoon or what and he's got a a remote control in his hand and the rigor mortis is set in and they're looking saying but we couldn't get it out of his hand I mean it's like uh, you see stuff like that and you go this is aw- this is so funny because now I'm thinking I can't let that happen to me you know it's like oh, look at that that's great I love it everybody likes to laugh everybody likes to have fun I'm talking about clean jokes you know things that are just funny things that make people smile things that make people laugh I had a guy call me the other day now listen to this I had this guy he calls me he calls me just to tell me jokes alright and he, goes, and he goes, I got this one for you. Because he knows I'm struggling here with you people. And he, <laughs> and he goes, I got this joke. I got this joke. Okay? All right? And I'm thinking, oh, it's, you know. All right, I'll tell you. Here's, here's the way it goes. Okay? Moses, Jesus, and this older man go golfing. All right? So Moses goes first. They're at a par three. It's 180 yards to the pin. It's nothing but water all the way up to the green. Moses tees off, he hits his ball, and he doesn't hit a very good shot. Because he hadn't practiced for a while. Anyway, so, so he hits it, and it goes about 90 yards, it goes right in the middle of the water. And Jesus says, oh, too bad, Moses, tough break. Moses goes, hold on, Lord. Walks up to the edge of the water and goes, like this. Throws up his hand. The water parts both sides. He grabs a little wedge, he walks down the middle of the water, and, and, and now he's on to drive, hits it up on the, on the green, It goes in for a birdie. Comes back, kind of smile on his face. And Jesus goes, oh, that's a pretty good shot. Jesus goes next, hits the ball, goes skipping across the water, all the way across, on the other side of the green, lands in a bunker, and Moses says, oh, tough luck, Lord, tough break. So he goes, okay, wait a minute, and Jesus walks across the water, <laughs> across the back of the green, grabs his wedge, chips up, goes on the green, rolls in for a birdie, comes walking all the way back across the water, he's smiling to Moses, Moses gives him a high five, he says, that's a good shot. So now the older man goes up, and it's his turn. So he hits the ball, and the ball's going right toward the green. And all of a sudden, a fish jumps out of the water, grabs the ball in midair, starts to go back into the water, and as it's going back, a bird comes, swoops down, grabs a fish, takes off, and tries to go with the, bird, with, with, the, uh, with the fish, drops the fish, it lands on the green, out of the mouth of the fish, pops the ball, rolls into the hole, hole in one. <laughs> They're all standing there. Jesus walks over to the older man, puts his arm around, and says, That was a great shot, Dad. And you go, you know, that's a funny story. But I had to pray about it for a week where I could share it with you people. Be like, oh, he's so irreverent. That's like, that's funny. And, you know, and I told it to, and, and my partner and I have got this guy that we do business with, and he's German. And he doesn't find anything funny in life. So I called him, and, and, and he talked to him about business, and he gives me the phone. I said, hey, I just want to tell you this joke. And, uh, you know, and I know how far it's going to go, right? So I tell him the joke, and here's his response, Uh uh-huh, which was a huge response for him. So I said, oh, okay, we'll talk to you later, and I hang up, and i was just thinking, oh, why? The next day, he calls and says, hey, you got any more jokes? uh, no, and you know, I hesitated sharing that one with you, because I know what kind of sense of humor that you have, you know, and I heard, it probably hurt the smile, and you know, who knows, his face probably cracked, a couple teeth broke, but, so anyway, we hang up. Five minutes later, this plumbing contractor calls me, says, Chuck, this is Daryl, with uh, so-and-so plumbing. I said, yeah, what's up? He goes, I just talked to uh, Pete, and he said, you had a funny joke to tell me. <laughs> I said, if you want it to be funny, call him and have him share it with you. <laughs> That'd be really funny. It's like, you know what? I mean, it's okay to laugh together. It's all right to have fun together. When was the last time you made your spouse laugh? Whether it was just showing her a cartoon or telling her a funny story or him a funny story. I mean, the the funniest things in life are things that just happen every day if you see it. I love this story. Listen to this. Here's this lady. She was born a year before Alexander Graham Bell. She was 14 when she met Vincent Van Gogh. On Tuesday, she she was 120 years, 238 days old, and she goes into the Guinness Book of Records as the oldest living person whose date of birth can be authenticated. This is what she said, I've been forgotten by a good God. She goes on and she said, you know, I'm a normal woman. I wish the world uh, the same life as mine, rosy and successful. Hard of hearing and nearly blind, through all the years she has kept a keen sense of humor. And asked at her 120th birthday party to describe her vision of the future, she, re- she replied mischievously, It's very brief. <laughs> Is that the greatest? Oh, what a great line. I love it. I like, here's another one. Here's a, this, this, uh, this guy moves into a retired home. A gentleman moves into a retired home on the first day, he finds himself seated directly across the table from a widow. After a few minutes he becomes uncomfortably aware that she is staring at him and he tries to avoid her gaze gaze, but to no avail. So she begins to she's staring, he looks back and finally after several minutes he asks her why she was staring at him so intently and this is her response. She said, I'm absolutely amazed. He said, you're amazed at what? She said, it's incredible the resemblance you have to my third husband. Your color, your size, your weight, your height, your mannerisms, everything reminds me so completely of my third, hus- third husband. The guy goes, your third husband? Lady, how many times have you been married? Twice. <laughs> what do we got? We got, a ra- we got a little delay here, don't we? Good. But see, you know, it's funny stuff. And it's okay. Okay. Companionship—you should have. I mean, think about it. You're, you should have a good time with your best friend. You should have a good time with your best friend. Linda and I—we stop for lunch. We grab something quick. We're driving up Chapman Avenue. I've got a—I've got a, a Diet Coke, a pretty large Diet Coke. I'm driving the car. I'm in the left lane because we're going to make a left eventually. What? You know. So we're driving up. And I got this, you ever have that when you have a big Diet Coke like that? Sometimes, you know, the straw can't get through the ice, right? You got this little ice jam. You got this little jam that needs to be taken care of. So I'm driving up the road, and I got this ice jam. I'm sucking, I'm not getting anything, so I start jamming the ice. All of a sudden, something hits me in the shoulder. And I look, and I realize it's going all over me. Linda's looking at me. She doesn't know what to do. I got a styrofoam cup. Ice jam problem. Styrofoam cup straw through the end. Oh no, it's coming all over the place. I stick my tongue into the hole. And I'm driving like this. And I can't pull over because there's nowhere to go. I'm stuck. My wife, who is ever so compassionate, wants to help me by just about peeing her pants and laughing at me. And I'm driving. And I'm sucking. And I'm drinking as fast as I can. And my mouth's filling up. And I'm trying to spit it back in the hole. And I got it. To, and, it's like, and this just is like the most crazy, stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. And I finally, get get pulled over. And I went to dump everything out. But I already drank everything that was left. And what wasn't left was all over here and all over here. And I was sitting in a puddle of Diet Coke. And I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. And she is cracking up laughing. And now, she can't wait to tell everybody that we made. And I think that's okay because you know what? It's fun to have fun together. You know, it really is. And what's sad to me, if you're going to become a best friend with your spouse, why don't you spend some time together? Why don't you laugh a whole lot more and argue a whole lot less? Because there's a whole bunch of things in life that are really worth enjoying. And you're missing it, and you're going to be sorry that you did. You know, I want my children, when they look back at our home, to remember it not only as a serious place, but as a place where we weren't afraid to have some fun, that we weren't afraid to laugh together and have a good time together. And, you know, and I can see it in my children, the, the sense of humor. And my wife is frightened by it, <laughs> but I think it's funny and, uh, and it 's hilarious to see that you know what they can enjoy life, and uh, oh, you know what here 's another one i 'll quit on this one, but I, I take my kids to the movies the other day because linda 's out of time, so we go to the movies and we 're sitting in the movie theater because we got there a little early and're in, in, and i don 't know who thinks of stuff like this, but they have a little couch at this movie theater that 's under the stairwell, so you 've got to kind of bend over and sit down, and so we 're sitting there and we 're kind of stretched out and and my daughter, the youngest daughter, Krista, who's only 13, she goes, oh, "Look at it! There's a phone number." Oh! <laughs> and then she starts reading it out loud, and there's people all over the place. She goes, "Look, one eight hundred four hundred I'm going four five ex. and then all of a sudden she goes <laughs> and then she laughed about it for two days it's like am I like so dumb huh dad yeah. and she kept going I, can't, I couldn't figure out why you kept saying don't read that out loud Okay, number five let's quit on this Five, we're going to become best friends. You're going to become best friends. You know what it takes is consistency. It just takes being there. You know, a a man of many companions comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know, the Bible tells us there's a friend that loves at all times. There's a friend that's always going to be there. You know what? And consistency doesn't mean that you avoid confrontation. In fact, what consistency does is it gives you the platform that you are free to confront one another, that you're free to give counsel to one another. Why? Because you know what? Because you're always there. Because you're consistently there. You know, what? And, and what better picture of marriage than that? There's a friend that loves at all times. That your spouse is always gonna be there. They're consistently there. You know, and you stop and think about it, and that's really what it boils down to. You know, I look at my relationship with my wife and I realize that, you know what? We, as we have been married longer, are becoming better friends. And I'm not so sure I can make the claim that at this point that we're best friends. But I'm willing to work on that. We're becoming better friends. And you know how that happens? It happens by going through a whole bunch of stuff together. And that's what consistency is all about. It happens by going through childbirth together. And it happens by being there when family members get old and sick and die. It happens by being there when your children grow up and they go through various stages of life. You know, And all of a sudden now they're teenagers and now they're driving and we're going through all that again. And we went through it already and we thought that we'd never have to do it again but we're so stupid because we've got three kids so we know what they're going to have to do it again. And we're going through all that again. and. You know, and you're going through job losses together and you're going through financial changes together and, and you're going through friends that come and go and you're going through a ministry that you serve in together and relationships you develop with people and they move away. And, and you know what? See, that's how you develop intimate friendship. It's by being there through all of those things, by being consistently there together. See, we live in a world that wants everything immediately. I want an instant friend. You can't have one. Because any friend worth having is a friend that's gone through a whole bunch of stuff over a long period of time and has proven that they're there for you in the long run. You can't become best friends with your spouse overnight. Why? Because you have to prove you're trustworthy and you can confide in one another. You have to be willing to confront each other through difficult circumstances. You have to be there to give good, biblical, godly counsel that won't lead somebody in the wrong direction. You have to be a companion that dates and spends time together and laughs and enjoys life together and can have fun together. So that, you know what, if I can have fun with my wife, then you know what, then I can be serious with her when I have to be also. And there's a balance there. It's not always, there's always problems, problems. In any relationship that's like that, all we're dealing with is problems and problems and problems and we never enjoy each other. We never laugh together. We never have fun together. Let me tell you something will happen to that relationship. You're going to drift apart because you can't handle it. You get sick of it and you don't want any more of it. But if I can have fun with my wife, then I can also be serious with her. And then it boils down to just being consistent. There's a friend that loves at all times. There's a brother that's born for a day of adversity. And God knows that's our spouse. I don't know who your best friend is. But I would suggest that if your best friend has a tremendous influence on your marriage, that you do everything you can to make your your spouse be your best friend. Let's pray. Father, we're just grateful for this opportunity to uh, look at what you have to say about intimate friendships. God, help us, uh, that are, that help us who are married to really understand the importance of becoming best friends as husband and wife. And God, help us also, too, to develop friendships outside of our marriage that will support our marriage, that will be a benefit and a blessing to our marriage and encourage us in the right things to be able to share intimately with one another. God, help us to have the courage and the strength to confront at times when it's necessary because it is better to, to love and rebuke openly than to have hidden love. God, we just have to trust you in all these areas because, you know what, there's too much bad counsel around us and we don't know where to turn, but we know we can trust you. We can count on what you have to say. You've never let us, let us wrong and you've never gotten, let us astray. And We know that you can't lie like people around us are capable of lying. God, help us, if nothing else, to be consistent in our relationship with one another, to be there through better and worse and through sickness and in health, in times of prosperity, in times where things aren't what they used to be from a financial standpoint. God, help us to be convinced, each one of us, that we've got a spouse who will stick closer to us than a brother, a spouse who will love us at all times, And God, help us to become that person in our spouse's life. And we just praise you in Christ's name. Amen.